You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Music lovers, welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan, and we've got Stephanie and Rob with me. How are you guys? Doing good. Hey. Hey. Yeah. How's everybody doing? <laughs> All right. Good to t- I'm psyched to talk about opening bands. We should, since we have that planned. <laughs> Before we do that, though, I want to get some listener feedback from this week. The first one, this is about our novelty records episode. It came in a little after last week's show that we recorded. Um, and this is from a friend of mine named Kim McGibney. And she writes in to say, just finished listening to the novelty records. Yes, please do another one. Where was Spike Jones? And for anybody not familiar, it, this is not the movie director that has a Z in his name. This is a recording artist from way back who his most popular song, probably his most famous song is All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth. And he has oh, a okay. million novelty songs. And he did not even cross my mind when I was putting my list together. But she also mentions um, Ernie from Sesame Street because Rubber Ducky was a big hit. Monty Python, Mel Brooks, and of yes. course, that classic I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred. I worked which, that record. <laughs> I was wondering about that. <laughs> and I'm sure that wasn't intended to be a novelty record at the time, but I think it sort of kind of not maybe became that, but it's easy to think of it that way. I would like to um, be, because I wasn't part of the recording of that show, but I would like to do do another one too because I was thinking about like Flight of the Concords. I don't know if you guys oh, yeah. mentioned them. Oh, I forgot right? all about that because they're amazing and also like all the Family Guy stuff. Oh yeah, true. You know, so yeah, like we'll there's a lot of stuff. Definitely. Like yeah. And she says, "And yes, please, a holiday novelty song episode," and that is definitely in the works. She then continues to say. Could there also be a novelty bands episode? I was thinking about bands that weren't real bands, but had hit songs like Sugar Sugar by the Archies, I Think I Love You by the Partridge Family, Anything by Millie Vanilli. Ah. Hilarious. Shots fired. We actually did do that topic back in our YouTube show days before we sort of converted the show into a podcast. So I think that is definitely one that we'll have to revisit. And then some feedback about last week's episode about the hypnosis documentary. So Stephanie, you got one to read us. I do. My friend Stephen Chopek wrote us a very nice comment. He said, dug the episode and loved the documentary. The cover for Elegy by the Nice is epic. The book vinyl album cover art is their complete catalog with essays and is absolutely fantastic. Amazing that their studio was in the same building as the Sex Pistols rehearsal space. <laughs> it's just true. It's like right. it was a, a rundown kind of shit space that they like. <laughs> I know it's from. amazing that all that iconic art came out of that just awful, awful yeah. space. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. 
And then one last one. This is a comment on our Instagram, and this comes from our lovely friend, Teresa Kariakis. Yay! Who just commented to say that her favorite hypnosis cover was Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here. So, Teresa, it is absolutely lovely to hear from you. Thank you so much for your comment. And anybody who's not heard it should go and listen to our interview with her. Uh, it was one of our favorite ones that we ever yes. did. She was so much fun. So thank you, everybody, for the comments and responses that we got from the past couple of episodes. If you want to send us some feedback on our show or comment on one of our topics, please email us at modernmusicology1 at gmail.com or just leave a comment wherever you find one of our posts, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, sorry, Facebook, X, or Instagram. We are active on all of those or just leave a comment wherever you're listening and do us a favor and give us a rating. That'd be great. All right. Let's talk about opening bands. Mm -hmm. We have all seen eight gazillion concerts, and I know we have a huge list of opening bands, both good and bad, both known and unknown. So I'm interested to hear some of your experiences. And I know, Stephanie, you were in a band that used to open for other bands yeah. and probably had other bands open for you. So I can't wait to hear some of your stories <laughs> on that topic. Yeah. So who wants to kick us off with, let's, let's say, favorite opening band that you've ever seen? I'll, I'll kick us off if that's okay. I just also want to say, like, it's funny. Go, I was going through all my old concerts because I keep all my old calendars since 1984 and my ticket subs and stuff. I was going through everything. And it's like, it, it's so funny how I remembered a lot of the older stuff from when I was young. And I think probably very impressionable at that, you know, when you're a teenager and your first concerts and stuff. As I got, as it went on and I'm looking, I'm like, did I even see that band? Like I could not remember oh, yeah. half the stuff that I saw. Right. So, oh yeah. But you know, I think the most obvious one that everyone's going to know that I'm going to say is when I saw the Go-Go's open for the police at Madison Square Garden, that was on January 22nd, 1982. Yep. And that's because that's really what got me into playing music. That That is why I started playing the drums. Um, I obviously had known about them from MTV, saw them and saw their videos and stuff, but seeing them live was a completely mind-blowing experience that that it was to me like a double bill that wasn't like a opening mm -hmm. band and a you know but uh just seeing them live there the whole crowd everyone knew their songs everyone knew everything and people were just jumping up and down you know the whole garden was going bananas i think for an opening band that's what more could you ask for you know everybody mm -hmm. knew your stuff and i think as their their tour went on and their record became number one in the country that probably happened to them more and more often on that tour you know oh yeah definitely yeah so i would say that was my i can't think of a better opening band experience ever than that show so this kind of touches into a weird terrain of opening bands versus sort of double bills mm -hmm. true my all-time favorite is in 1995 when I saw the outside tour with uh, David Bowie oh my God. and Nine Inch Nails. And we Ugh. were in one of the cities where Bowie opened. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic. So I think that's still pretty, pretty incredible and amazing. And I still think that might be my favorite uh, opening band. Well, yeah. I mean, if it's Bowie, I mean, Bowie. come on. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Alan? What's your fave? Um, geez, 
You know, I've got so many just weird ones. Um, <laughs> so do I. I've got, I don't know. That's, I don't even know why I asked that question of you two because I have <laughs> no answer, answer for it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Dumb. Um, here's the thing though. I realize, see, I, I, I kind of pride myself on having a really good memory of the concerts that I've seen. Like I've started in 1979. My first show was the opening show on Kiss's Dynasty Tour. And I've seen a, a million shows after that. And I have a good recollection. When I was going back through my ticket stubs, I realized I don't have a whole lot of recollection about the opening bands. Mm -hmm. It took a lot of digging to come up with a list of stuff. So I was like, I mean, and I discovered stuff today that I don't even remember seeing and would never have remembered. So I'm going to go with, okay, this is a weird one. And I don't even think this really counts, but I think it's just the funniest thing on the list. And that is in 1983 and 84, when Yes was doing their 90125 tour, which was their biggest commercial success they ever had. So they were doing just this huge tour that was sold out everywhere. Their opening act was two Bugs Bunny cartoons. What? No <laughs> band. They just showed two Bugs Bunny <laughs> cartoons. And I'm certain that one of them was Hairway to the Stars. And, I mean, it was just wacko. And I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> That's so weird. What? Right. Wow. So in, in putting together your list, what was your process? And, and did you come up with any surprises? Because I came up with a lot of surprises on mine. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I just went through my calendars and I wish I'd kept that kind of calendar, you know, yeah. because you you have written down bands that you saw who opened for them on. All, I mean, it's just amazing. I wish I'd had the foresight to keep anything like that. A, a few like earlier ones, I forgot to write the opening band, but I mean, for the most part, I try to do mm -hmm. that, I guess. Um, so that was my process. Um, I did come up with some totally weirdo like. Here is the weirdest one that I found. <laughs> this is from the Beacon Theater in New York. In uh, it was August fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine. This was the bill: Living Color, Boogie Down Productions, <laughs> and John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> like what? Like, and I'm sure I can't even remember that I saw that show to be honest. But I'm yeah. sure it was insanely good because those bands are all amazing. So, <laughs> wow. But how weird? Wow. Yeah. I have a I have a John Cougar story from the opening band days too. He opened for Hart in '82, and Hart was kind of on a downslide at that point, and he was very much riding high. He was like on his way fast up the ladder. <laughs> and I don't think it happened at our show, but at other shows, he would say stuff on stage like, "I should be the one headlining, and they should be opening for me." <laughs> I mean, he was just a cocky shit. Oh, yeah, so, he was really, really obnoxious. Yeah. yeah, and I know he said stuff like that in the press. So that was one of my favorite ones because <laughs> he was just such a jackass. <laughs> what about you, Rob? So I went through a couple different things. One, just shows that I have particular memories of that I remembered. And then I went and found the dates. Mm -hmm. And then um, also ones I remembered sort of either where I did interviews with bands or there was some kind of attachment to radio or press work that I was doing or particular memories, some good, some bad. And I kind of worked around 10 or 12 things and then it kept expanding and growing because then I was like, Oh yeah, I saw this. And Oh yeah, I saw that. And 
Yeah. That was kind of my process. And I started thinking of, okay, what bands did I see that I do actually remember the opening bands? And for me, it's early in my career doing radio and stuff because back in the day, while all the other kids, Steph will appreciate this, all the other kids were trying to get on the headlining bands press list or uh, guest list. I was getting on the opening bands guest lists so that I could go see the band. So like when I saw the Afghan wigs and Nirvana, everyone and their brother was trying yep. to get on the DGC list. I got on the Afghan li- wigs mm-hmm. list. I right? remember seeing so that show. Yeah. I remember stuff like that. That's kind of my, my memory. When I saw my bloody Valentine, I made it a point to get on the dinosaur junior list. So yeah. things like that. So a lot of that is how I kind of remembered it. And some of it is just so ingrained in my memory as being a train wreck that I can't forget it. Like the sisters of mercy, opened for public enemy on a tour and they played the arena here, the old St. Louis arena. And like any other arenas that were built in the fifties and sixties and still in use into the eighties and nineties, the sound was horrible. (laughs) The, um, the sisters of mercy live now still sound like that tour. So it's kind of frightening, but I remember that one being so gut wrenchingly horrible. And then, uh, then I got to see, you know, public enemy and the sound system didn't matter. But then I remember seeing, that, that kickstarted a memory to when I went to see Public Enemy at Mississippi Nights, a smaller venue, years later. Yeah, and yeah. Chuck and, and Chuck was there, but Flav was like so out of it. He, did, he, he missed the entire show. Wow. So that was interesting. That was near the end of their breakup, right before they broke up too. So a lot of it's attached, attached to memories and things like that. And then it was just sort of like hunt down the dates and, and things. Some of it I had, some of it I didn't. My ticket stubs are scattered, like, all over the place. I had an amazing collection of ticket stubs, mm-hmm. but somebody burned them once, so I don't have them anymore. And mm-hmm. um, But I, I, I wrote a lot of stuff down. I'm nowhere near as organized as Steph, um, but I, I did write certain things down, and I'm lucky enough that when I would remember, okay, this is when I saw Echo and the Bunnymen, I wrote down on a piece of paper when I saw them and put it inside the CD sleeve. Aww, so when I played cool. on the... So when I play on the radio, I, I'd remember, but now I'm doing everything digital. So, yeah. <laughs> so this was kind of a fun little, uh, little exercise mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I said, I didn't recall almost any of my opening bands and I was looking through my ticket stubs and some of them say who the opening band is on the ticket. Most of them do not. So there were a few that I was reminded of and I was like tr- doing Google searches and I was like, yes. you know, like there's so many bands that I still don't know who the opening band was like in excess. The first heart show that I saw when I saw Black Sabbath and ACDC a month apart from each other, half of the Dio shows that I've seen. Um, I saw Billy Idol one time. I saw Kansas a number of times and I don't know who any of those opening bands were. Yeah, which is crazy. So I had a very short list until this afternoon when I thought, you know what, if I go on to setlist.fm, I can search by venue. And most everything I saw growing up was at the Lakeland Civic Center. So I just put in Lakeland Civic Center and I just scrolled down the list. And I found because then, you know, if you look up REO Speedwagon, it it just tells you what songs they played. It doesn't say. But if you look up the venue, you'll yep. see the set list for the other artists that was on that same night. And that, that, that brought everything back to my memory. That's so good. Yeah. Now, before I did that, I didn't have anything for any of my Rush shows. I've seen Rush a billion times. 
And I couldn't remember any of the opening bands. But then I thought, you know what? I've got this book. They put out a book called Wandering the Face of the Earth. And it's a chronicle of every tour, a very, very detailed chronicle of every tour they've ever done, every show on every tour. So I just looked up the dates in my handy dandy, enormous hardback book, and it has all the details about it. So for my Rush shows, and I would never have remembered almost any of this, just the first five, 1980, uh, their opening band was Saxon. And now that I see that, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally remember seeing Saxon, but I had completely forgotten about it. In 81, Crocus, oh 83, God. the John Butcher Axis. 85, they did not have uh, an opening band. 1988, apparently I saw Tommy Shaw open for Rush. Oh. I have zero, and you know, I'm a big Sticks fan. How do I not remember seeing Tommy Shaw? I know, it's because our brains can't retain this information anymore yeah. as we get older. <laughs> There's too much. Right, it's crazy. That's what I was saying about, you know, when you're young and impressionable, those things really stick with you. I mean, that mm -hmm. one, of, one of the things that um, I didn't see on my calendars, but I remember clear as day, and, I, and I'm sure it's in my ticket stubs pile, um, was seeing the police at Shea Stadium. And uh, so the openers were Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. And before Joan Jett was on, on stage was R.E.M. And R.E.M., I, I remember this, I was with all my high school friends and we were so excited to see R.E.M. It, it started like pouring. It was for their Chronic Town EP. Yeah, it was 1983. So I think wow. Chronic Town was, I don't think wow. the first record was out. But anyway, it was, it, it started pouring rain, but a lot of people went, inside and we just were like screw it we're gonna just dance and we all just danced in the rain but nice. they didn't play very long and then luckily by the time joan jed came on it has stopped raining but that was a fantastic show and i remember those you know like that was like again that was to rob's point that that's like a triple bill you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah i gotta tell you one of the craziest discoveries that i've made in this process and I was thinking, you know, last week we did our show about the albums of 1993. And one of the ones that I talked about was Terrence Trent Darby. So I knew I had seen Terrence Trent Darby open for somebody. Could not recall who it was. And I was like, maybe it was Duran Duran because I saw them in 88. And it wasn't because I looked up their tour documents and found that the opening band was, I don't remember who it was now. It was somebody I have never heard of. And okay. I have no recollection of seeing him. Like it was somebody called like Pursuit of Happiness or something. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm an I knew, adult now. I, I knew I recognized like, the name, yeah. but I don't know anything about them. So I have no recollection of that. But I was like, I couldn't think of any other show in, in around that time that Terrence Trent Darby could have opened for. So when I was digging through my setlist.fm stuff, I thought, well, you know what? After I finished with the Lakeland Civic Center thing, let me look up the Sundome in Tampa, the University of South Florida, the Sundome. I saw a lot of shows there. Let me see what all's there. And that's where I found it. Apparently, I saw Duran Duran twice. <laughs> I have yeah. no recollection of a second time seeing Duran Duran. But yeah. I remember very, very clearly seeing Terrence Trent Darby. That was in 93. And that was on the tour where, you know, they're doing, it was the wedding album. They're doing Ordinary World and Come Undone and all those songs. I, I have no recollection of that show, but I have a clear recollection of Terrence Trent Darby. I have no recollection of seeing Charlie Sexton twice. I only thought I saw oh. him once. Right? Oh my God. 
uh, like once was his band and one was just him. And I'm like, wait a minute, when did I see Charlie Sexton? Right. And I completely forgot about a, a bill that I saw at the American Theater that was right around when the, when Gish, the first Smashing Pumpkins record, came out. It was roughly the same time as the first Pearl Jam record came out. And the Pearl Jam record was breaking. So it was Pearl Jam was the headliner, then the Smashing Pumpkins, and Fishbone opened. Oh, man. And Angelo climbed into the balcony of the theater and, and was doing like jumping out of the, you know, the balcony seats and being stage dived. And I remember going to see this. Now, if you listen to this podcast, this may be a running theme. I remember seeing Fishbone and the Smashing Pumpkins and then leaving. <laughs> but I've never seen an artist jump out of like onto a stage, run across people in the audience and climb onto the balcony and then jump. It was like, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah, and wow. I, I remember seeing Veruca Salt and PJ Harvey open for live, and I we we went and saw PJ Harvey and Veruca Salt, and then left. So speaking of live, speaking of weird weird bands, and my band, the Aquanettas, played a triple bill in England with we opened for Live and Public Image. Now that was the weirdest weirdest probably <laughs> except for when we opened for Nine Inch Nails, that was the worst and weirdest, but. That, but the triple bill with live and public image was just a wrong, it was wrong. <laughs> kind of worked, I guess, in some strange way, but it was also just wrong. <laughs> so you're saying it was wrong. <laughs> I'm saying public image is wrong. Oh. Live and us worked together and we played with them a few times, like in Pennsylvania and they were totally cool. But yeah, I think we worked better together than all of us with public image. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Steph, didn't you, you showed us something from your calendars from way back in the day where you opened for somebody and you have no recollection of playing the show. Oh, Who was it? Jellyfish. Oh, Jellyfish. Jellyfish. Well, I were. Okay. So they're a band that I work their records. <laughs> it said, I, my calendar said exactly this Jellyfish and us in Washington, DC, 930 club, 32991. <laughs> Rob, is that the show? Rob says yes, he came to that my, show. <laughs> my girlfriend at the time and I took the train down and uh, we stayed at this place in Foggy Bottom, which at that time was not renovated. Oh, yeah. And it's like your typical, like, it's like the hotel in planes, trains and automobiles, basically. <laughs> and I remember we talked to you and you introduced me to everybody in the band. And that's when I got my CD signed. And then you I, got me. Wait, did we open for, did we really open for You Jelly opened for Jellyfish. Yeah. And then you introduced me to Jason Faulkner. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> we sat, I mean, you well, and I. I remember you and. You and I and yes. the mongrel sat at the uh, the bar. Yeah. And we were talking to Jason Faulkner. Like you being there is more clear than that, you know, that whole event. Wow. Honest yeah. to God. Wow. That's okay. I, I understand. You were so overwhelmed by being in the nation's capital that you were. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I like no. When you said, "Oh, we took the train down," I was like, "Oh yeah, like that sparked a memory." Yeah, because it was supposed to be like a really short train ride, but they had some kind of delay, and we got to the venue twenty-two minutes before it started. Oh God! <laughs> and of course, I wouldn't be able to text you and say, "Oh, we're still coming." No, because you were going to meet us at the box office and give us our tickets, and okay. it ended up you just left tickets at the box office for us. And we got there like literally 20 to 25 minutes before. So we didn't see you till after your set, yeah. but before the next set. And that's when you gave me your, your drumsticks that I have. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my wow. God. So, yeah. Wow. I mean. It's okay. 
I, 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 no, I mean, I, I don't remember. It's just like, I couldn't even believe it. Jellyfish. I mean, like they're one of my favorite bands too. I really remember a lot of the other bands we played with, but not that show is just a total, I don't know. Cause it's one of your two shows I saw mm-hmm. and that show was really, really tight. Cool. And the Chicago <laughs> show <laughs> right. was, was good, not. but the sound was like, I remember the Metro. I think, was, I think it was Jill was upset about the sound. Yeah, the Metro. Jill. That was a weird gig. But you guys were great. It was just the sound was weird. Hmm. Thank you. Because I asked you if you wanted to go see Cabaret with Voltaire with us after that show. And you're like, what? You're still going out? <laughs> <laughs> Probably because yeah. we had to go hit the road. But yeah. <laughs> I've got a couple of bands that I would never have remembered. And now that I look back on them, I uh, don't know who they are. <laughs> and so I, I discovered in my research today that when I saw Jefferson Starship in 1984, the opening act was Billy Satellite. That name kind of rings an incredibly vague, I don't know, I but I don't know anything about who that is. And then I discovered that when I saw Stevie Nicks in 86, the opening band was Opus. Who the oh, fuck wow. is that? Live is Life. Oh, you know them, Rob? Yeah, they had uh, Live is Life, and they had one other hit after that that nobody remembered. Anyway, never mind. It seems like, I mean, now that I see the name, it seems like that's something that I should be remembering. But I don't know. So I'm going to have to go look them up and, and, and see if I recognize any of their songs. You mentioned Duran Duran earlier, and the year before, I saw them at the Garden twice. On It was June 23rd and 24th of 87, and Erasure opened both shows. Oh, interesting. And I only remembered that when I saw the fact that I had written it down. I was like, oh, yeah, because I do remember. I mean, like, that was a huge show, and that was so energetic. And that whole that whole show was just like, I remember the lights for some reason. But I guess because at the Garden, it was just so, you know, huge and, you know, mm-hmm. energetic and stuff. But I, I wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, I saw Erasure. But when you when I saw it in, in writing, I was like, it sparked, you know, sparked the memory. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I have, you know, I have a memory of seeing a couple things that completely forget. I, re- I remember that I went, but I don't remember the actual shows because I saw Curtis mm-hmm. Blow and Run DMC. Oh, my God. How awesome. And I remember seeing Run DMC, but I'm like, I saw Curtis Blow. And then I was, I was asking a friend of mine, I was like, you don't remember that? I'm like, no, it's like. Yeah, they 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 lost the guest list, so we just walked in. I'm like, oh, okay. What? Yeah, amazing. The venue I was at, I could generally just walk in. I had a really good relationship with them. I remember. I know you talked about PAL. The first show that I was able to go to as a legal adult was Public Image Limited and uh, Flesh for Lulu opened. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was October 27th of 1989. I just turned 21 like 10 days before. Mm-hmm. And then later that summer, PAL came to an arena and in excess open form. It was very weird. But yeah, I saw Flesh for Lulu and they were fantastic. They were actually better than PIL. PIL was kind of a disappointment. I mean, it was just kind of like, dude, you put, put out a record, be excited, you know? Yeah. But the, like the guitar and the band was great. It was just, he was just kind of like odd and strange. I also had completely forgotten. And then it reminded me of another Steph story because I remember the, when I was in town for CMJ in 95, I did come by to see you. Mm-hmm. And that's when you introduced me to some band that I completely forgot now. That was it was at Virgin that day. But I ended up seeing Sleater Kinney three four straight nights in 1995 in New York. Once at the Cooler, two nights at the Fez, 
the Continental and one other place. Okay. Wow. Had, cool. And then so one night, one night was Bratmobile opened. One night was Velocity Girl. One night was uh, Bikini Kill. And I can't remember the last one. Holy and I just, shit. That's I just amazing. Remembered, I just remembered how great Bratmobile was. <sighs> and that was that was the, the weirdest night of my concerting I did up until the year that Johnny Cash released the first of his comeback records with Ruben. American. Mm-hmm. Amer- yeah, Ameri- yeah, American record. That one. Yeah. Um, because he played he played CMJ. And he yes. ended up going on. He ended up going on early. He switched spots with Wilco and Band of Susan so he could go on earlier. So I ended up seeing Johnny Cash. Then I jumped in a cab, went across town and saw the last 35 minutes of George Clinton. And then that ended and I made the 1 a.m. set of Einstein Day Neubauten. Wow. What a night. What a weird really? night. That really? is my weirdest night of, of concert going ever. And I stood next to Diamanda Gallus and Ice-T. <laughs> I just said the Joy Button concert, which was which is pretty fantastic. But the Sleater Kinney shows, I remember because they were like a huge buzz band. They were oh, yeah. yeah, and they were amazing. And seeing them in a small, really small venue, and I was just like, man, you know, I'm gonna go back and play this record for the kids. That's a good point though that you said about seeing so many bands. Like I I was looking at some of my calendar entries and I would it was, you know, like this band and that band. And then I had a line and then I wrote this band and that band. Like I went to see two concerts in one night. Yeah. Yeah. How did I even do that? Cause I can't even barely get myself to one concert tonight, <laughs> you know, today. I noticed this, that I did this a lot too. There was, there was a yeah. Ned's atomic dustbin open for Jesus Jones. And it was the same yeah. night as front two, four, two. So I went and saw Ned's atomic dustbin and then went down and saw front two, four, two. Both of those bands ended up in the lobby at KCFE that day for interviews, which is also oh, okay. weird. Then I also remember I went to the limelight. The early show was, I believe, Ned's Atomic Dustbin opened for the Inspiral. But the early show was the Inspiral Carpets. The late show was Tom Jones. Mm. Tom Jones, and and it was it was freaking amazing because was Tom, this a convention? Like, <laughs> See, because for the convention, no, this I was at like... the this was at limelight. This was okay. Just, I know, not, but was not it part a convention. Of the convention. Okay, no, because why? Yeah. I feel I feel like when it was part of like you know if we were doing new music seminars or whatever. I was looking and seeing how many shows I went to, but it's understandable you plan your night to go see three shows or four shows because they staggered yeah. them like that too for conventions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, not when you just sometime randomly on my calendar, I was like, "How did I? How did I see four bands in one night?" But I yeah, guess I did. Because I, I, I also remember too with the Sleater Kinney things. I think one of those nights I saw the wedding present late, but I remember bopping, and that was when I was hard, hard, hardcore. I can't, I can't do that shit now. No, yeah. God, but. It was really great because bands, you know, there was enough live music around. You could do that too, which was great. I remember yeah. going to see, I think a show at New Music Seminar. I think it was New Music Seminar. It was Willem that was an SBK record showcase. And it was Willem the Bushman, then a band, some band called Blur, and then, <laughs> slow, and then slow Dive. Oh, wow. And I remember I was with my girlfriend at the time. We were watching Blur and she goes, these guys are horrible. They're never going to be anything. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> you're wrong <laughs> wow well you know it, it depends on when you catch blur because you know yeah. different points in their in their career yeah. you know some of it may really not connect with especially in america you know and i went to seattle in 1995 to see a friend of mine who was getting married and i stayed at this hotel and blur was playing a show at the crocodile and mm. pavement was opening for them. Oh, cool. So so that was amazing. I remember that being great. great but show. Blur wow. stayed in my hotel. And I remember getting on the elevator and they were all there. And I'm like, oh, wow. I, I didn't say anything, whatever. And then I kept running into them on the elevator. And then like the day before the show, they asked me for directions. I said, oh, I think you can go here. But, you know, 
because they're looking for some restaurant or something. And then I think it was Graham Coxon said, are you going to the show? And I said, well, I'm not in, I, I literally got into town and found out about it. So I'm going to try to get him at the door, even though it's sold out. He goes, what's your name? We'll put you on the list. Nice. So I felt all cool because I got on the guest list for a show in Seattle. Yay. <laughs> and then years later, my wife and I went to Seattle and Bob Mould was playing a late show and then Animal Collective was playing later. And I ran across town to see both. But the problem was Bob Mould, even with earplugs, was so loud that it was pointless to try to see any other band that night. Yeah. Oh, wow. Blew your ears yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, because the guy from Anthrax was at the Bob Mould show, which I thought was weird. Rob, did you see Bowie on the Glass Spider tour? Um, I did, but I do not recommend it at all. I do not remember it at all. I mean, I remember <laughs> I was some say, of it. I was there. I recommend it. <laughs> no, I mean, I... I remember, I think I remember a large chunk of it, but that was like really early in my, in my concert yeah. going experiences. And I, you know, I was a teenager, so it was like, you didn't really know the gravitas of like, I'm seeing David Frigate Bowie, right? It's like when I saw Iggy Pop the first time, I didn't realize, I'm like, it's Iggy Pop. And then like, and now it's like, okay, drop everything and go see Iggy Pop. Well, I wish well, I could have seen that tour with more age on me. Okay. But what about the opener? I don't remember the opener. I don't either. I don't even remember there being an opener, but I was looking it up on Wiki and it said that throughout North America, it was either Duran Duran or Susie and the Banshees. And I'm sure I would have remembered them. It was not Susie because I had not seen Susie ever. And then they played a show in New York with the Wonder Stuff opening. And I got on the polygram list through, through, uh, through the Wonder Stuff to go see Susie. So I know Are it wasn't you sure Susie. you never saw Susie? We can't remember things, remember? I <laughs> oh, I remember because I was with someone at the time that was going to stab me if we did not see Susie in the fucking Banshees. Yes. Oh, no. I was under I was under <laughs> orders of death if I didn't get tickets to Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> I think my favorite concert memory, though, was 1991. The Cocteau Twins played. They were on tour. And Galaxy 500 opened. And I got on the rough trade list to go see Galaxy 500. I was supposed to interview Gene Wareham, but he uh, was detained. So I had to wait. So I ended up waiting during the sound check, which just happened to be Elizabeth Frazier doing warmups for 20 minutes. So I heard Elizabeth Frazier singing a dark, empty theater for 20 minutes, oh. which was pretty fantastic. Until after the show, when I finally did my interview with Dean Wareham, who was really, really tired. And he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to do it here. I need to, I need to get some beer. So my friend, John and I were like trying to drive him to every liquor store we could find downtown. And we couldn't. I said, well, I know there's one out by my house. that's open on a Sunday night. Let's go there or whatever night it was. Let's go there. So we went, we got beer and then taking him back to the hotel was on the way to my friend John's place's home. So my friend John basically dropped me off first and he was going to take Dean Wareham. So then I'm back at my, and this is when I lived at my parents. Dean Wareham had to pee. So he peed in my mom's rose garden. <laughs> so that is why I remember that concert very well. Uh, but I remember Galaxy 500 was fantastic. And it's a horrible shame what happened to them as well. I remember seeing the Pixies open for Love and Rockets. This is before they broke. It was on oh that um, ride after Doolittle. And Love and Rockets had just had a huge hit with So Alive. Uh, September, that, September of 89. Been- Two amazing bands mm-hmm. that I would love to have seen. And it was like fantastic. I think I saw that tour. Yeah, it was fantastic. The first, like my first experience with an opening band, though, 
was I'd seen like a lot of bands and bars and stuff. And it was like, you know, I'm going to see a small venue. But my first like big, big thing with an opening band is I remember seeing Simple Minds on the um, Once Upon a Time tour. Oh, my God. And, and the call opened. And I had never heard that. This Ooh. is before I made it a point to hear opening bands. I just I, I, I had no idea who the call were. Right. Yeah. They were fantastic. Oh, I'll bet. Oh, I'll bet. Huh? I had no I idea who they were. with them. Oh, no, I'll the bet. fall. Sorry. I'm thinking, no, wait, the fix. No, the Sorry, call. forget the it. The Cut. Yeah. Because the, 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 the dad of one of the guys in Black Rebel Motorcycle Club is in, uh, was in the call, was Michael Bean from oh, the call. Yes. yes. Yeah. And they were fantastic. And I'd never heard them before. And that's how I discovered the call. I bet both of them were amazing. Yes, they were. Oh, my God. You were talking about that being before you were making a point to see opening bands. Here, here's my experience with that. Back when I was first starting to do shows back in 79, 80, 81, you know, everything was general admission. Yes. So a big crowd would be there before the doors open because you totally. want to rush in and get your seat. You want to pick your spot. Either you want to get down to the very front or you want to get a seat in the stands where you get a good view of everything. But the, the other side of that is that opening bands had an audience to play to. Such a Once good point. everything went to assigned seating, nobody showed up for opening bands. And I just think that's the biggest disappointment you know, I mean, can you imagine being a band in that situation where you're playing in a 10,000 seater and you're playing to a thousand people? You yeah. Know? I mean, I've seen shows. I just remember seeing some shows at the garden. The opener is playing to, you know, a couple thousand people. It's just yeah. crazy. Yeah. I just, I just feel like that's the biggest damage to up and coming bands. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can understand why venues went that way rather than general admission because it's easier to control and, you know, secure, whatever. But I don't know, man. I just think that was such a raw deal for opening bands. Yeah. I remember going to see uh, a concert and Luca Bloom opened. Oh, cool. It was fantastic. But I don't remember who the headliner was because I enjoyed Luca Bloom. So, <laughs> you know, that's funny because I was, just, we were going to, mentioned bob bob brought it up because i told him the topic of our podcast tonight but he remembered and i didn't have this written down under my crowded house entry but we saw rhett miller we got there early we were, were like i think he was a fan of the old 97s or he you know and i knew some of their stuff and i liked them but i didn't like i wasn't crazy about them so i wasn't jonesing to get there to see rhett miller but he it was him and an acoustic guitar and i I was absolutely blown away, like so glad I went, got there in time to see his full set. And he made me a, like a fan for life. We have seen him since maybe like five or six times, you know, like at City Winery or whatnot. But it, it, he just one guy on stage with a guitar was so entertaining. Usually I, I hate to say it, but I usually find that kind of it can be quite boring, uh, like yeah. an, an opener with like you and a guitar. I at least want to kind of maybe see a full band if if I'm seeing a full band next also. But right. wow, he really and also he was entertaining and funny. And like, that's another thing about opening bands. I, you know, I kind of like mentioned this on our last episode about Cheryl Crow opening for Crowded House, strangely enough. Um, but she, man, she really got the crowd going so well. And I love when an opening band does that. I really love when the opening band is great themselves, but also whether I know them or not gets you in the going for the next, yeah. you know, your mean, your mean yeah. person that you're seeing. So here's, here's my favorite story about one person and a guitar. 
I used to work at the High Museum of Art. It's the biggest art museum in the Southeast. It's here in Atlanta. And we would do a college night. And, you, you know, you'd get people from all over the area who would come in and it was like on a Friday or Saturday night or whatever. And it was a big deal. You know, people would come and have wine and look at the art and hear a good band play or whatever. And so the first one that I ever did, the featured artist was Michelle Malone, who is... She's I worked kind- her. Really? I believe I worked Michelle Malone. Wasn't she oh, on Island? Lim- well, sorry. If yeah, I'm sure going. she was. You know, she was good buddies with Indigo Girls. And so she was in that sort of folk singer-songwriter kind of thing. And she was really, really good. I thoroughly enjoyed her. But the act that went on before her was this young nobody named John Mayer. And he was phenomenal. <laughs> like just a fantastic player and great songs and you know and both uh, both acts it was just one person and an acoustic guitar which i love personally i love that stuff but i thought john was fantastic and i went up to him afterwards i'm like hey do you have a band i could be (laughs) your drummer (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome i know right (laughs) that is fantastic and I totally lied. Michelle wasn't on on island, but you know, I saw Michelle with Indigo Girls. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw they did them a lot together. of shows together back in the mm. day. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> he went up to, I'll be your drummer, <laughs> right, John Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> I did that a couple of times too. Back in my church days, there was this guy called Eric Champion. You know, a lot of Christian bands play with tracks because churches aren't going to pay to bring a band in, you know? So I was like, Hey, do you ever tour with a band? I could be your drummer. <laughs> oh, and I'm not a gutsy person, but there was those two occasions where I just went up to somebody, you know what? I, I could be your drummer. That's awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And sometimes, you know, it's weird because the openers don't always fit the band. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. And that's always when it's awkward. Like I saw severed heads and MC 900 for Jesus opened both. Yeah. Both on network, but, kind of different you know i saw john wesley harding open uh, on a bill with ocean blue and i forgot one other band and it was kind of like he was a little too acoustic-y i think mm-hmm. uh much like you said with the guy with the guitar but his, his wit really saved him mm-hmm. so i see some of that stuff too where it's like this doesn't really work one of the craziest ones that i ever saw and i can't believe i had the opportunity to see this band but in 83 through the beginning of 84 kiss was doing their 10th anniversary tour and it was their album creatures of the night and they were coming out of a low point where they had just hit rock bottom and they had just released creatures was this like hard rock really heavy album and it was like a return to form and this is the last tour they did with makeup and we went to see this show and it was a great show but the opening band was the plasmatics holy Shit, oh it was my so God. amazing. I can't believe that you saw them. Wow. I can't believe I saw them. And, you know, that's one of those opening bands that I had no trouble remembering. Like, I remember when I saw the Plasmatics and yeah. Wendy O. Williams, man, she was just insane. And she didn't, you know, a lot of the things that she was known for, you know, she didn't really do as an opening act. But a lot of their stuff, they did exactly what you wanted to see from the plasmatics and they mm-hmm. were amazing oh that's so and cool. it was just the whole show like kiss was in this kind of like p- 
pissy attitude where they're like, we don't need preachers and teachers and bosses telling us what to do, blah, 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 blah. So, but then, and that follows after the plasmatics who kind of are an angry band anyway, and do a lot of destruction on stage. And it was just one of the most bizarre (laughs) and violent shows I've ever seen. It was so great. Did she have her chainsaw? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was amazing. That's cool. You know, Rob, you were saying, well, bands that don't go together. I was just thinking of a couple instances of when we, the my old band, the Aquanetas, played with bands that we did not belong with. <laughs> well, I guess it's because we were on, you know, a, a tour route and our booking agent would just put us where we could fit, right? But it didn't sometimes always make sense. Yeah. But... <clears throat> One, I mean, a couple times it was the Nine Inch Nails show. We were opening for Meat Beat Manifesto and Nine Inch Nails. And that was just the most, which I've mentioned before in the show, yeah. totally horrible. Of course, the public image was kind of a weird show. But um, we we played with, um, uh, what was it? Not, oh, yeah, Lollapalooza. I was, forgot the name of the festival, Lollapalooza. And we played the second stage. Oh, and wow. we opened for, well, we didn't open for it. We were all playing together with such bands as the Jim Rose Sideshow Circus, which I don't know if you remember them, but they were mm. not really a band, but an act. And he would like eat glass and then he'd throw up and it was oh all this God. crazy. Like he did, it was like, it was, a, like it was all freaks. Yeah. It was freaks. Yeah. He did, it was complete madness. Um, <sighs> also Cypress Hill we played with. That oh was my so, gosh. So weird. Like, but I remember them being so nice and so cool, you know, like the Cypress That's Hill awesome. guys. And uh, Jesus Mary Chain, although they might have been on the main stage, they probably were on the main stage. Hmm. But just some bizarre stuff like that, you know. Wow. That's so cool. Mm. It's fun. Fun. Funny memories. Uh, I remember seeing the night that uh, Bill Clinton got elected um, seeing only because that's that was like the history moment. I saw House of Love open for Catherine Wheel, Ooh. and then Ocean Color Scene was the first band. Oh, that's board. so weird. I just looked at my list of Aquanetta shows. Like, we played with House of Love a few times. They we opened for them because Chris from House of Love put our 12 inch out in England, like, he put a couple yeah. over. And mm-hmm. I, oh no, Ocean Color Scene, sorry, Ocean Color Blue, Ocean Blue. Does that? Ocean Blue, yeah. does that ring a bell? Yeah. Oh, that's the other Hershey, They're from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Oh, Look nice. You knowing that. <laughs> well, <laughs> they were, I, I saw them like four times because they, they were on a tour with like the Mighty Lemon Drops. They were on a bunch of, like Sire put them on every friggin' tour they had. Ocean year, Blue? Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, every show they'd open with, we're the Ocean Blue, we're from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Like, oh, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Plus, it's easy. It's chocolate and Ocean Blue. It's the only thing, you know. Oh, that's funny. There was a couple that I had not remembered that I, in doing my research today, I was like, jogged my memory and I was like, oh, I can't believe I forgot that I saw them. One was Red Rider in 83 and they had that big song, Lunatic Fringe, and they were, they were hot at that moment. And I saw them. Let's see. There was another band called Shooting Star that they had a big song called Last Chance and it sounded kind of Kansasy. In fact, I kind of rediscovered that song like a year or so ago and posted it to a friend and he was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I always thought that was Kansas. It's was <laughs> called Shooting Star. And I saw them open for Heart in 85. I'd kind of forgotten about that. I saw Molly Hatchet oh open for Triumph in 85. 
That's crazy. One of the best bands I'd ever discovered. Um, I saw Hard in 2012, and uh, the opening band was Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown, and they're very much this rootsy blues rock. They're fucking amazing. It was such a great show. God, I ate it up. It was so amazing. <laughs> one last one that I forgot that I had seen was Till Tuesday opening for Hall and Oates. Oh, in 1985. Yeah. I, I just, I was so like in love with Hall and Oates and I remember scalping tickets. I got second row seats and I think I was so excited by that, that I forgot that I, you know, it jogged my memory when I saw it on the paper, but like that I did see till Tuesday, you know? Oh my gosh. I was so, you were in love with Hall and Oates. I was so in love with till Tuesday. Yeah. God, yeah. I, I well, still love them yeah. so much. Oh, yeah. I, I saw Tears for Fears and Hall & Oates on that weird mm. double bill oh, tour gosh. they did. And Tears mm. for Fears played first. And they were so amazing that there's no way they could top them. And Hall & Oates were just so flat. They were yeah. just... Oh. And that reminded me of my, my Hall & Oates story from the limelight. I was at the limelight one night with my girlfriend. And we were at the bar. And um, I went to go grab something. And I'm coming back. And Daryl Hall... Is like talking to my girlfriend, right? <laughs> you know, six foot four Amazon one with a leather jacket and this little midget called Daryl Hall. And I said, Hey, I hear John Oates is looking for you. Why don't you leave my girlfriend alone? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Yeah. Well, that's a good story to end on then. We're going to take a super quick break. We're going to play a little ad for one of our fellow podcasts and we'll be right back in 30 seconds. The Earth Station One podcast has been bringing your inner geek out to play for the past 13 years. Over this time, we've seen things change in the world of geek and podcasting alike. And your friends here at ESO are looking to change also. We are now giving you double the fun by coming to you twice a week. And not just in audio, but now you can see our lovely faces up on YouTube. Join Mike and Mike as we celebrate our 700th episode and beyond. Earth Station One is proud to be a founding member of the ESO Network. All right, we are back. Let's do our picks of the week. Who's got something that they want to share that they've been listening to this week or reading or watching? Okay, so I have never ever, I, Steph first heard this story in 1991 that I said, Stephanie, if madness ever comes to New York, let me know <laughs> so I can go see them. I've still never seen them, but madness have a new single out called C'est La Vie. Uh, it's from the album uh, Theater of, of the Absurd, which comes out next year. And they're going to tour, and uh, it sounds like madness. I mean, they've aged very well. Oh, cool! And um, they 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 know that they can't do what they used to do, so their songs kind of match that. It's not like we're old rockers trying to rock, and it's sad. They just totally have very gracefully aged and made it work. But it sounds like vintage madness. It's fantastic. Awesome. Um, also, I'm going to. Uh, I know I talked about these kids earlier. Uh, Sleater Kinney uh, dropped Hell this week. Uh, it's a new single called Hell from the album Little uh, Little Ropes. And basically what had happened was, it's the whole album is coming out next year. It's an album pretty much about grief and loss, which instantly makes it popular. Carrie Brownstein found out that her parents died. Her mom and her stepdad were killed in a car accident while on vacation. Mm. And the people trying to notify her could not get a hold of her. So the, the emergency contact for the, uh, outside of Carrie Brownstein was Corin Tucker from the band. So it went from her parents dying to Corin Tucker to her bandmate. And so that is the backdrop for the album. Oh, so wow. I think it's going to be really different than anything they've done before. 
Hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting. And then the last thing I have uh, coming out this week uh, that we're recording this is OMD's new album, Baja Staircase. Yeah. And the three tracks that they've done from it are all very different. Varushka is like a very sort of melodic, quiet number. And then they've got Slow Train, which is really poppy and funky and got like a couple singers on it. And then the title track as well. So that's out. And uh, I recommend that as well. All right, Steph. <laughs> I've been watching birds. What do you have, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> well, this week I was home when I was supposed to be in Cleveland and I had to miss my Cleveland trip for some doctor recommended health reasons. Don't, don't take a big trip. So I was going to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. I had no idea that on Thursday, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was doing a groundbreaking ceremony to do a 50,000 square foot expansion to do all these new things that they've got planned. And it's just amazing. But my friend who was there just happened to walk. I mean, because we were going to be staying in walking distance from the Hall of Fame street. He was with one of his coworkers and the coworker wanted to just walk down and see the place. So when they got there, there was this ceremony going on with this massive stage and the guests on stage were Sam Moore from Sam and Dave, Martha Reeves, Michelle Williams, and two of the Go-Go's, Charlotte Caffey and our lovely friend, Gina Shock. Yay! And I was like, I cannot believe that I had to miss this trip when I could have met Gina Shock. And I oh. could have said, thank you so much for being on our podcast last year. We really want to get you on again because you've got so much new stuff to talk about. I can't believe I missed that. The know, other thing that tough. I missed was the next day, which I also didn't know was going on, is Trevor Rabin, who used to be in Yes, and I saw him on the 90125 tour when they had two Bugs Bunny cartoons opening for them. And he has a new solo album out called Rio, and they did a album release party at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I missed that, too. Ugh. That all leads into my pick of the week, and that is Trevor Rabin's new album, Rio. It just came out on Friday. And I've been listening to it and it is fantastic. The musicianship is just off the chart. It is so good. The, the song arrangements are amazing. Um, he does everything himself except for the drums. He has a really, really good drummer on the album. And just like his um, in 1988, he did a solo album called Can't Look Away, which is phenomenal. And it's basically him and a drummer. So this is kind of following suit from that. I don't know yet if I'm going to like it as much as uh, Can't Look Away because I, I'm, you know, I'm still getting used to it and it's very different stylistically. But man, is it it is so good. I'm so impressed with everything I've heard from it. That's and cool. we'll be listening a lot more to really digest. All right. Well, that does it for us. We are going to be back next week. Hope everybody joins us then. And until then, Stephanie, why don't you let people know where they can find you? Sure. You can find me uh, on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music. You can find me on Instagram at there underscore r underscore birds. And I have a website also called therearebirds.com. And uh, Bandcamp under my name. And then all the streaming platforms like Spotify and all that good stuff. Sweet. Robert. Hey, you can find me on um, the Weekend of Justice podcast with NeedCoffee.com, 
Uh, you can also find me on Mondays on Antics on Louder Than War Radio. It is um, from 6 to 8 Greenwich time, 1 to 3 Eastern, 12 to 2 Central. Um, all of the shows, all 30, we've recorded, I've done 30 now, which is pretty weird, all by my lonesome. They let me make an album without a without a handler. Um, <laughs> I made a radio show without a handler. So yeah, that's at Louder Than War Radio. And if you go to their Mixcloud page, you can hear all of those as well. And I've got a website called cosmiccreative.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C creative.com. And I've got my books there and my podcasts there. Go check that out. All right. We will see you next week. Everybody have a great week. Keep rocking on. And I don't know what else to say. Just listen to a lot of music. That's all. I'm going to cut that, obviously. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network. Your station for all things geek.